it just took practice. And so I wish there was an easier way to be good at networking, but you really just have to practice it. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Rent to Retires, it's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined as usual by the founder and CEO of Rent to Retirement, Zach Lemaster. And we are pleased, absolutely pleased to be joined today by another member of the Rent to Retirement family, and that is Sam Hack. It's been a while since uh, we've had you on, Sam, so welcome back. Thank you. It's great to see you guys again. Yeah, absolutely. So Sam, uh, for those of you who don't know, he's uh, he's living in a place that's uh, a bit more exciting than uh, than Austin, Texas, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, he's he's been out there running real estate and working it. Um, tell us a little bit about what you've been uh, what you, what you've been doing. Yeah, for those of you that aren't familiar, I'm a full time real estate broker in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and uh, small time investor. I've got one property under my belt, and um, I'm all about how to be successful in an expensive market and making progress every single day, even though sometimes it can see insurmountable. So I'm I'm an entrepreneur doing all kinds of things, but in the very end, uh, I'm a real estate guy. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing you said, you know. Was- small investor just have one property but every time i've talked to you i feel like you have some other thing some other investment going on or you're doing something else in real estate even if you're not owning a property um like i know you've you've managed properties you're you know house sitting you're doing this you're doing that i mean yeah you may only own one rental property you talked about but you're working in it 24 7. Yeah. What I, what, every time I talk with Sam, I really enjoy, you know, the, the drive and the motivation and, and, you know, I, those are the type of people we love to work with as well that are out there, like they're hustling, right. And they're, they're making things happen. It's not about how much your portfolio is. It's like, what actions are you taking to be a creative investor and, you know, further your, your education and put pieces into place. I mean, there's a lot we want to unpack with you, Sam, about certain creative things you, you've done um, and making it, work in the wild west in the expensive market i mean you're in jackson hole right you came out to the wild west to you know gun, guns blazing to um just do everything you possibly can you have a turo business i think you have like six luxury cars that you rent out uh, you you have basically where that's from what i understand semi hands off because you have a person that basically operates that business uh we want to hear about that all the creative things you're doing in, in real estate um and what you've you've done so i mean give us give us just a quick broad overview um, of kind of just everything you you've dabbled in and kind of the the things that you're doing now. Definitely. So just to set the setting here, I moved to Jackson in 2019, August 2019, and that was about seven months before the COVID pandemic set in and sort of changed the West forever. Um, luckily, I got here and was able to build some relationships and start to trade my time for money, like most of us do right out of college. Um, just grinding away with a few different jobs. I was dog sitting. I was meeting people around town. I was cold calling people and writing letters to real estate people and alumni from my two alma maters and just making my way in the world. Then 2020 rolled around um, in March and things totally changed. We saw real estate start to skyrocket. Um, Supply chains were totally messed up. So that meant rental cars weren't available and 
with volatility comes opportunity. And so myself and a couple of the connections that I had made started to recognize how do we make some arbitrage uh, moves here and make some money. Um, and what we came up with was the rental car business first and foremost, because it wasn't seeming like we could really afford real estate at the time. The average home price was still over a million dollars. And uh, we said, how can we get started? So I uh, took my original uh, college car that I'd saved up all of my internship money and purchased with, and I put it on this new platform that was kind of like Airbnb for cars called Turo. And uh, my very first rental, I rented uh, my Jeep Wrangler out for $250 for the week. And that was something around like 70 bucks a day or something like that. Turned out the uh, first renter was a professional photographer. And so he took a amazing photos of the vehicle. And he said, you can feel free to use these on your listing. From there, it just became more and more successful. And with that, the cash flow from the car started to snowball. Um, now we have six vehicles. And uh, with all of that income, was able to purchase my first property outside Jackson in Victor, Idaho. That's awesome. Walk us through the numbers a little bit more on, I mean, you, you gave us the, that first week, week rental of your Jeep, but I mean, basically what I would expect, um, the reason you're doing this is because you can, I mean, beyond just the simple fact of being able to own multiple vehicles that someone else is paying for, um, and, and have those luxury vehicles like this, you're, you're cash flowing on this business and it allows you to purchase more vehicles and, and build a fleet. So can you talk a little bit about like more specific numbers on the Turo business? Yeah, definitely. So the good thing first and foremost about cars is that um, they're an easy collateralized loan from a bank or credit union standpoint. And so they give out car loans pretty easily because they- With know little they to no money down in many cases too, right? That's yeah. right. And uh, yeah, with the car market being volatile as far as supply and demand as well, sometimes they end up with a glut of inventory and they're willing to finance them at 0% or you know, just really long amortization periods. So that's awesome. And yeah, if you don't pay, they can always come and repo them. So they're seen as not all that risky. Um, we're usually going for the longest term that we can um, when we can't buy them in cash. They're not that expensive. We're talking about thirty-five dollars to $40,000 average price. Um, and relative to the daily rates that you can get for rentals, that's a pretty amazing cash on cash return. So um, when we don't have the cash to buy them, but we see a good opportunity, we'll get a six-year term and depending on what the rate is, some of them were at 3%, some of them are at 6% now, but we have three of them paid off and then three of them are financed. And with this active business, if I understand correctly, uh, these cars being a business um, purchase and expense, do you not get 100% depreciation year one on them? You do. And that was a, a wonderful thing because one, we buy a four by fours that are you know usually close to 6,000 pounds or more. And so... Um, you know, my CPA knows more about this, but yeah, basically they've been able to offset all of my real estate commissions from my sales business to make my tax liability basically zero. Music to my ears. Adam, we got to start a churro business. Um, <laughs> well, so you saw how Zach's mind was like, yeah, cash flow. Wait, hold on. Can't you depreciate that? Yeah. Get rid of taxes? <laughs> That's huge. I've, I've purchased one business vehicle in my life. Uh, it was a work truck and yeah, it's like hundred percent write off year, year one, um, which is great. But what is, um, for someone that's like listening to this and they're like, hey, this sounds interesting. Maybe they've heard of Turo. Like walk us through the process of just getting started. Is this as simple as buying a vehicle, putting it on Turo, like a house with Airbnb? And then, I mean, you you have to go pick up the guests and drop them off. You need 
cleaning on the vehicle, right? So let's talk about the business operations and how to get started just for someone that's interested in this. Definitely. So I'll start from how I started. It was just me. And that's the beautiful thing about Turo and other uh, sharing economy platforms is that they give you all the tools that you need. So first and foremost, you have to find the vehicle if you don't already own it. Um, do some market research at a market like Jackson Hole. It's mountain vacation rental area. And so people love Jeeps, Forerunners, Tacomas, pickup trucks, um, things that are capable throughout the all, you know, all year long that can accommodate skis and camping gear and things like that. Um, so make sure you buy right. And by that, I mean, look up the value of the car on Kelly Blue Book and make sure that you're paying an appropriate price for it. Also get it inspected and make sure you're not going to have a, a bunch of repairs after you first purchase it. So number one, acquire the vehicle. Number two, go ahead and list it on Turo. And it's just as easy as Airbnb or VRBO. They provide every tool that you'll need. So insurance is taken care of through Liberty Mutual with a point-to-point -point policy, um, meaning it's a policy that is started at the time of pickup and it ends at the time of drop-off. So, so you still have your own insurance policy. This is just uh, for that specific rental period for that guest, right? That's correct. Yeah, I still have a policy through GEICO for the times that I'm driving it personally to and from the airport or just when I want to take it and do some recreation myself. So that hasn't, renting your car out on Turo has not changed your insurance premium uh, just with GEICO because, because there's a separate policy that covers those rentals or? Yeah, exactly. So they don't, they have nothing to do with it. So I'm not... Um, using or claiming coverage for the, that point-to-point -point use. Um, I think that it's still certainly a cutting edge thing and there's some gray area depending on what company you use. So I wouldn't go out and say, here, here, I'm, this is what I'm using my car to do and let them evaluate it. But yeah, if they, if they uh, find out, they may increase your premium or something like that, or they might say you're not covered, but just make sure you go with a company that uh, knows what you're using it for and be very honest about, about that. Otherwise, you're using the Turo insurance during the trip. Cool. So bought, bought the car um, appropriately, set it up on Turo. And how does Turo work? Yeah, Turo works kind of just like Airbnb. So um, the big thing is their fee versus your insurance coverage. And so what I'm currently at is what would be considered the highest risk plan. So they're going to take 10% of every single rental that I do. Um, and so that means I have the highest deductible if something was to go wrong. Um, you can lower your deductible if you give them 20% you can get a very low deductible or zero if you give them 30%. Um, and I think that's a very fair fee, especially at 10% because they're providing the full marketing platform um, online. If someone searches rental cars um, in Jackson Hole, they have amazing SEO. They're going to pop right up. And we have some of the most competitive rates because we don't have the overhead like a Hertz or Enterprise does where they have to rent um, space at the airport and desks and things like that. And employees, it's just a peer-to-peer -peer sharing thing, cutting out the middleman. And uh, it's an amazing technology. Man, this makes me think about like when um, a few years ago when uh, in some of these markets, Airbnbs started to get really aggressive or popular or even when like the platforms first started and how much that disrupted the hotel industry. And then, you know, and then there's a lot of lobbying and now, and now like, you know, a lot of regulation in place. But I mean, I, I think it's quite different, obviously, for housing and, and rental cars to... No, I don't, I don't know that the rental agencies will have much say over this. It's, it's happening, but this is, this is cool. So, um, okay. So you rent out the car on, on tour. I mean, but let's talk about the logistics you have to, and I know you have someone in place to do this, um, for you, but you have to pick up the guest or drop the, like, how does the car exchange work and what are the logistical steps? Could just walk us through a normal rental. 
Yeah, there's a, a bit of flexibility in as far as what your offering is. So you have the vehicle and it'll show where it's available to be picked up. You know, if you're a very passive person and you're not trying to maximize revenue and trying to minimize the time you spend on this business, you can say it's available for pickup in my driveway. You have to Uber to come get it. Okay. So that's possible, but that's really going to limit your demand because a lot of people are looking for a rental car that can pick up right from the airport. So of course, that being said, we offer delivery to the airport and we put a, a competitive delivery fee in there. That's going to be less than to and from with an Uber in Jackson. Ubers are really expensive in Jackson. So we undercut that price. So it makes sense for them to choose. And uh, when I was doing it myself, I would drive it up there, you know, let's say an hour before, um, and I would just deliver it clean, all perfect, and uh, leave the key inside the car. Uh, you can also use a lockbox, but Jackson's a really safe market. So sometimes I'll just leave the key inside. Uh, the renter comes and picks it up and takes it, you know, drives it around for the week and then drops it off in the same place. And I would uh, get a ride or get an Uber myself if necessary to pick up the car and confirm the rental and then get paid. So it's pretty simple. Basically, you just make sure the car is clean upon delivery and they re return it in a similar condition. And uh, there's also no off-roading allowed and things like that. So um, paperwork is, is handled through, through Turo. Do they have um, like liability release and things like this and rental agreements? Yep. All that kind of digital contracting is handled at the time of booking. Okay. And then, you know, let's... <laughs> Zach's stealing your whole business model here. Like, <laughs> I love it. We, we talked about... license um, plate number, Sam. <laughs> I know. I'm, I saw Sam with a chauffeur hat the other day too. That, uh, you know, he's got a name for himself out there. What's uh, no? This this stuff is interesting to me. I think we interviewed someone not too long ago about a trailer business renting out trailers. Um, you know, and it's just like little things like this are super intriguing for me. So we'll get off to her in a sec. But just real quick, walk us through um, the numbers of like a typical. You know, you you have a fleet of of um, properties, or I'm sorry, of uh, cars. So I mean, at this point, like, what what does a typical the numbers look like? Yeah, a car um, that, you know, the average car is doing around $1,700 a month in revenue after Turo fees. That is, you'll only ever see your net earnings from Turo. They don't tell you, know, tell you what you, the gross amount paid by the renter is. So it's about $1,700 <laughs> a month. And then um, now that I'm not doing it myself, um, I've hired a guy that's going to take 20% of each rental. So he's really happy about that because he's really passionate about cars and he's handling all this stuff and getting paid pretty well. He's making a thousand dollars a month himself. And, um, and I'm making 5,000 or so in a totally passive business. So it's, yeah, it's, the numbers are great. And, uh, I think the average payment that we have on the cars are the three that are financed is about five fifty six hundred a month. So, and what about expenses? Like what's your average net cash flow? Yeah, expenses are the main things are oil change, um, tire rotations. Yes. Well, or is it, or is the person covering the gas? Yeah, the renter's covering all the gas. So that's great. And then you have to factor in your, um, you know, your insurance for all the cars. So the six cars that I have, my personal insurance policy is around $300 a month because the mileage is quite low that we're using it for. Um, the main mileage is just being driven during the rentals. So yeah, cash flowing somewhere around $5,000 a month. Um, after all expenses. Fantastic. Fantastic. So this is just another example of what you've done. I mean, you know, you built this business, you know, you've built 
um, you know, a small property management business um, that you're running on your own. I believe you're still doing that. You know, obviously, you know, you're, you've got a variation of house hacking going on. Tell us about what you're doing in real estate and how you're, you know, building up your portfolio essentially, or your businesses in real estate while living in a place that isn't exactly known to be friendly to uh, real estate investors, unless you're going like big time Airbnb, you know, uh, situations. Definitely. So um, I had a mentor in college when I was working at this property management company where I got my start. And he said, all you have to do is work or all you have to do is take very small percentages of very large amounts of money. And so to apply that to Jackson, it's if you can't invest in it right away, you should manage it because a, a manage management contract on a home that's producing $10,000 a month in income is pretty darn good, you know? And same thing with sales is you're only making two and a half, three percent on a sale, but for $5 million, that's a lot of money. And so however you can do that um, is great. And what I've been able to do is after uh, my original job in Jackson, which was at a bank, just my first job out of college, I started working in property management and built a lot of relationships in these luxury rental homes. So we were doing really well making I think we were charging 30, 35% per rental, um, full, full concierge service and, uh, and caretaking of the home. And so that was really, so that was, that was a large percentage of a large amount of money. So we really enjoyed that. And then from there, the relationships I built and knowing the ins and outs of the homes, I was able to develop relationships where people actually wanted me to live at their property while they weren't here. And that's really common. A lot of the homes in Jackson are vacant for six months or more every year. And you're either paying an external caretaker who's going to come by once a week and take care of the place, or you can do a handshake deal with someone that you know personally, your boots on the ground, uh, that can live in the property or live in your guest house and take care of it. So that's been a major catalyst for me to limit my liability and uh, accelerate my uh, earnings and in investing. Yeah. And now you've taken, you know, you mentioned you have your own property. Now you're taking, your income from there and actually investing in places where um, you can actually make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, that property was a big home run and you know, my, the best investment I've ever made from 2020 to 2023, um, it increased in value from 255,000 to 475,000 and the, uh, rent increased from $1,000 a month to $2,200 a month. So that was about, buying in an upcoming area. Um, that's over in Victor, Idaho, which is 35 minutes outside Jackson. And um, I was listening to a piece last night from uh, Barbara Corcoran, who was on the Bigger Pockets podcast. And she was talking about talking to local people, service industry people saying, where are you living? And then she would go check that area out and make an make educated purchase in that area. So that was Victor in 2020. No one wanted to be over there because everyone wanted to be in Jackson. But it still wasn't very affordable in 2020. So I said, I'll get in front of the wave. I know it doesn't make sense. When I first purchased it, I was actually negative cash flow when I first purchased it, but it was a house hack. So even though I was paying a little bit out of pocket to live there, I could see the long-term vision. And uh, yeah, now it's it's been my biggest win ever. So it's definitely worth doing. Are you doing anything with the equity in that house, Sam? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have a significant amount of equity there. Yeah, about $220,000 of equity. And um 
I just, you know, finished up my taxes for my second year of self-employment in April. So after I get that um, return back, I'll give that to my mortgage mortgage broker and we'll look at uh, refinance opportunities to roll that into some new investments. Nice. Yeah. That or a HELOC, you know, would be something that uh, I always encourage people to explore because there is such a thing as return on equity, um, yeah. you know, and that's a great resource. And that's to your point, just investing in just investing in real estate in a, in a good location and letting real estate do what it does. We'll have to start calling you Sam, the life hacker with uh, everything that you got going on. But let's one thing you touched on briefly is, is talking to locals and things like this, but brings up a broader um, topic. I want to have you touch on a little bit because you're a master at networking, I think, and building relationships uh, and getting outside of your comfort zone, just like when you reached out to, to me years ago, you know? Um, so, you know, how has that influenced your business, uh, businesses, your investing, your professional life? And what advice would you give to someone about like just how to, how to network with people appropriately and build relationships? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a question that I've thought about my entire life because when I was a lot younger, I saw my friends that were like a stereotypically cool and socially smooth in school. I mean, starting from middle school, you start to be socially aware of are people good with girls? Are they good with talking with adults and um, good at being outgoing? And so what I what I realized was some people are born with cool parents, right? And their parents just sort of bestowed those skills upon them. Uh, but other people that didn't have that uh, benefit, they have to learn it. And so um, I took my entire senior year of college. I was really awkward up until my senior year of college. And I just went out five nights a week. Um, around the town talking with random people. I mean, first it started with talking with the homeless guy down the, down the street in Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin. And then it's, and then it was talking to the bartender and then it was talking with a group of guys that I knew from class. And then it was talking to a group of guys, strangers. And then it was talking with uh, some girls. And before you know, before you knew it, you were socially smooth and warmed up on a you know night to night basis. And uh, it just took practice. And so I wish there was an easier way to be good at networking, but you really just have to practice it. And if you don't use it, you lose it. So in my real estate business, it's all about just getting on the phone every single day and making my calls as well as when I go get a coffee at the coffee shop or lunch, I make sure to introduce myself to the waitress, waiter, maitre d' or bartender and uh, just get to know them, especially in a small town like Jackson. So the more people you know, the better. And you, you always come at it from a perspective of that person knows something that you don't know. And that's what I learned from some of the service industry people in Jackson about Victor, that that was the up and coming place. That was the place to be. And I wouldn't have known that without practicing that skill. So what I just heard him say is Sam's parents weren't cool. (laughs) That's what I took away from all of that. I think. Kind of. Yeah. My, my, my parents had dinner parties and stuff growing up, but objectively, you know, people had more, uh, you know, built in social skills than I did. <laughs> well, it's developed, but I mean, you know, you, you certainly have to practice it like you talked about Sam, but that, in my opinion, that is the most crucial skill set to have. Um, people talk about, and, and this is across any businesses like sales and knowing how to sell is important as, as Robert Kiyosaki would say, but even more important than that. And, and a precursor to, to sales is relationship building um, and, and networking real estate certainly is a people business um, and you know, you're, you're housing people, you're dealing with people consistently. Um, and you need to be able to be a good, a good people person. Sometimes people come in and they're not relationship oriented in a transaction. And I think you need to be, 
um, you know, because you just, you just don't know the opportunities, but yeah, that's, that's great. What else in real estate can you share with us as far as like other things that you've done? I mean, you've kind of dabbled in a lot of different stuff. You have your, your own investment uh, property that's done quite well. I mean, what's, what's next, Sam, what else you got on the, on the agenda here? Yeah, I might have mentioned this, but basically, if you can't buy the asset, you should manage it because not only will it give you the skills, but um, it'll let you make some some solid income as well. So something I do on the side is um, Airbnb management. I uh, manage a couple different a couple different homes, some that are rented, but some that aren't. And uh, one of them that's the most uh, noteworthy is right downtown Jackson. Here, it's an owner that lives in Hawaii, and uh, I have a great relationship with her. I'm basically her boots on the ground guy. And this Airbnb makes about $300,000 a year. And uh, I'm paid accordingly for doing the hot tub and uh, checking in and checking out guests and um, delivering paper products and all this other stuff, making sure everything is going smoothly because it's an out-of-state investor. So that's been amazing. And uh, I hope that eventually I'll be the go-to person for her when she decides to sell. But again, it's just... um, relationship building, as well as having that resource available for my clients to be able to rent at a, an insider rate. And uh, just the more people you know, the more things you're managing, the more resources are available. And so uh, that, that's a great source of income. The ones that I don't, the ones that don't rent on Airbnb, um, they have come and gone depending on, um, their, sometimes they're just a short-term play and I've helped them sell those homes. The thing that people like to talk about the most or are most impressed by is the caretaking uh, gigs in Jackson. So like I mentioned, a lot of people aren't here. They need someone to live in their home. And uh, my very first caretaking gig was up in Grand Teton National Park. It was a home that uh, had been in the family for quite some time. The owner had passed away and the kids inherited it, but the kids weren't super interested in coming out to Jackson. They're from out of state and they didn't spend a lot of time here. So they were actually paying me $1,200 a month to live in the house and uh, any additional work that I was doing, whether it was fixing a toilet or shoveling the snow, I could bill them at $100 per hour for that work. And so it was an amazing source of income and a zero liability proposition. Um, And then when they came, when it came time to sell that home, I said, Hey, I'm a real estate broker. And uh, we ended up selling that for them a couple million bucks. And uh, it was a major win. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you're also TikTok famous, apparently, and uh, you got lots of good dance moves. I think you taught Adam how to do his first TikTok. Yeah, um, only TikTok. I first only. I'm still sitting at one. Yeah, we had Adam and I were, did a Bigger Pockets Instagram takeover, and uh, it was Adam's first time on Instagram ever. We had some technical difficulties yeah. going into it. I'm very, but, uh, yeah, I'm very social media friendly. <laughs> it was a learning experience for me as well. But uh, I mean, Sam, another thing that um, I mean. One of the things we talk about is being innovative and being creative. I mean, that's one of the big things that's allowed Sam to really gain traction is whenever he was in Austin and we were hanging out, he said, you know, there's a lot of real estate agents here, but they aren't tech savvy, you know, and you were really getting in and getting the SEO and getting your name out there, being on um, social media and really just helping yourself, even though at the time you weren't established, but you were getting to the point where, you know, one, two, three years down the road, he was going to be crushing it. Just like when you start in real estate, you know, your first one or two real estate deals aren't likely to make you retire, but it's going to set you up down the road. So I know Sam has been out there crushing it with his uh, social media. 
I mean, tell us just real briefly a little bit about that, about what's gained you traction in the social and media space, because this is tying into your business, right? Um, and now you have a reputation. You are the go-to guy in, in Jackson Hole. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about your development on social media um, as, as a way of building business. And then, of course, for anyone that wants to travel to Jackson and find a place to stay, connect with you and talk real estate, buy a property, or learn about Turo business or anything else you're doing, tell us how to contact you as well. Yeah, definitely. So the social media thing has been amazing. And like Adam said, it's a long-term play. Um, I used to be really against social media at, from a consumer standpoint, I think it could definitely rot your brain if you <laughs> use too much of it. But if you are a producer, it's one of the most amazing tools you can use as a salesperson, as a professional. So once I got that discipline down to be a producer instead of a consumer, I just started putting out content and the real key was frequency. It was doing one TikTok video a day and repurposing that over to Instagram as well, creating it once and then distributing it to multiple platforms. And um, it wasn't you know, necessarily the quality and production value about every single uh, piece that was put out, but rather that someone who was following, someone that saw a video knew that they were going to get a consistent stream of content and be able to keep up with you like that. And TikTok really is a game changer because it allows, it makes for an environment where people are a lot more open and just able to produce a high volume of content and be themselves. And that seemed very different than Instagram, which has been high production value, very uh, manicured lifestyles and aspirational content. So love TikTok. I think it changed the game. And uh, as Adam said, it was one of these things where I said, okay, a lot of older people that are the owners of current Jackson real estate and even buyers that have the financial ability most likely aren't going to be on TikTok. but I'm a young guy. I'm 26, started making all this media at 25. And so I started connecting with a lot of people that were aspirational buyers that were entrepreneurs coming up in their industry or the children of the buyers and sellers of Jackson real estate. So when it came time for their parents to buy or sell, I was getting introductions from their children. And that was really, really cool. Not something I really anticipated, but it worked out that way. And um, yeah, from there, I've just uh, had trouble actually keeping up with the amount of leads generated from TikTok and Instagram. So that's that's my main focus now. And I'm not able to get a piece of content out, content out every single day now because I'm trying to do more real estate and less media just to service everybody. But yeah, it's been great. So my handles for that across all platforms are at Sam H real estate, very straightforward. And um, yeah, I'd love to connect with you on there. And it's just all about creating as many channels as possible for people to connect with you on. So I highly recommend it to anyone in real estate, whatever your business is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sam, uh, before we take it out here, is there any uh, recommendations you would give to anyone in terms of actually getting started on their real estate investing journey? Yeah, I would say um, you gotta you gotta get in the game. You gotta get, you gotta take some risk because nothing really makes sense when you first buy it, um, especially in a market like this. No one has a crystal ball. No one can predict the future. But as one of my favorite real estate people ever, Barbara Corcoran says, if you're not willing to take risk, you just gotta get out of the game. Like it's just real estate's just not for you. And so um, work on your self development first in your risk tolerance before you start to get into the financial side of things and uh, take your take some risk. You need it. I, I love that you said that, Sam, because that is exactly the next podcast Adam and I are talking about is risk analysis. 
And the reality is any action or inaction is, is a risk. Everything you do has a risk associated with it. So you, you certainly need to evaluate which risks to take and how to take them appropriately. And if, and if you need a guide through risk, check out rent to retirement because they're an amazing resource and they'll walk you through everything you need and make it seem a lot less risky. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Sam, absolute pleasure talking to you as usual. Uh, everybody, I put his uh, handle up here, but if you're listening on the audio podcast, it's at Sam H real estate, go on whatever social media platform you use and you'll find the man there and you can, uh, check out his content, not saying you should repurpose his, but you know, maybe it'll give you some ideas of what to do for yours. If you're an up and comer in the real estate market, if you have any questions for us, you can email them to podcast at rent retirement.com. And if you send an email to that address, you can feel free to ask for the copy that Zach wrote of the top 20 markets to invest in, in 2023 to send your request there. And don't forget if you leave a podcast review and uh, send a screenshot to the podcast email, we will give you a $10 gift card and enter you in a $500 closing cost credit raffle that we will be having at the beginning of July 2023. We're going to run it July 1st. So really appreciate the time you spent educating yourself today. Check out all of our properties at renttoretirement.com and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Cool. Right. Thanks.